0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Jamie. (laughs) Hey, James. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. Will you help us to hear your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent, which means that next Sunday is Palm Sunday. So, everyone wear your favorite palm. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) No. Uh, And then the Sunday after that is Easter. Yes. Um, So, Lent is this 40-day season before Easter where we are invited to uh, contemplate Jesus's life and his ministry as he makes his way to Jerusalem and the cross. And following the church year, it has nothing to do with our salvation, okay? But it is a way to give us a Christ-centered rhythm to our year. And since other Christian denominations follow the liturgical year, when we dip into it from time to time, it's a way for us to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, and also, this is why we pray the Collect together as a church. um, It's a way to add our local voice to the other churches here and all over the world who are praying that same prayer. Okay, so the gospel reading for today comes from the 12th chapter of John, just at the first verse. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, this is a pretty familiar story, right? There are versions of Jesus being anointed uh, in this extravagant way in all four Gospels. But only in Luke and John is it mentioned that uh, she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Uh, So let's look at this story. Um, The the worship-filled dinner party. That's what it is. If you, if you go back to the previous chapter, it starts with Martha and Mary sending word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus, you know, one of his best friends, was ill. And Jesus waits it out instead of rushing to them, right? And he knows whatever is going to happen will be something that will glorify God. And after a couple of days, he tells his disciples, okay, let's go to Judea. Uh, we, have, we have some work to do there. We've got to go see Lazarus. And uh, the twelve, they try to reason with him. They're like, hey, remember, um, the Jews there want to kill you. Like, maybe let's not go. And things are getting serious now, right? The closer Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the closer he is to his death. So they get to Bethany and find out that Lazarus died four days ago. And Martha meets Jesus outside, and she says to him in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I feel like this must be the most bold and honest thing anyone said to Jesus. And Martha goes inside, and she gets her sister, Mary. Right, she's like, the rabbi's here. Go talk to him. And do you know what Mary says to Jesus when she sees him? She says the same honest thing that her sister said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And does Jesus get angry or defensive? Does he start making excuses? No. No. He goes to the tomb, and he shares in their grief, and he weeps. And there's lots of people there. Lots of people see this. And then he prays out loud to the Father, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And uh, in verse 45, it says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then for the rest of chapter 11, it tells how the priests and the Pharisees were planning to kill Jesus. And since Passover was coming up, they were trying to find out where he was going to be that day so that they could arrest him. And in verse 54, it says, Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews. So everything that happens after this is touched with danger. This dinner party that happens next that we just read about, it's dangerous. Right after the dinner party in verse 9, it says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So, the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So, it's dangerous to be Jesus. And it's dangerous to be with Jesus. And his friends decide it's worth it. Jesus is worth the danger. So, their whole dinner is a worship. We read this story, and we know Mary's part is worship, right? She takes expensive perfume. She takes a lot of it. It's an extravagant amount, and she anoints Jesus. And her worship is costly. And she's unrestrained, right? And she bows so low to Christ that she's able to wipe his feet with her hair. She humbles herself all the way to the ground, all the way to his feet. When we read and study this story, you know, that's probably the part we focus on the most, is Mary's extravagant and prophetic worship. But this whole dangerous dinner is worship. What are the other siblings doing? Right, in verse 2, John tells us that Martha served. Of course, of course she did. And Lazarus reclined with Jesus at the table, right he's not guarding the door he's not peeking out the window to make sure everything's okay he chooses to throw a dangerous dinner for Jesus and everyone who's with him and it's worth it to him to relax with his savior and he chooses to feast on his presence and martha served I love it. In Luke 10, when we first meet this family, Martha is serving and Mary is at Jesus's feet listening to him. And Martha gets kind of peeved about it, right? And she asks Jesus to make her sister help her. And Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen what is better. And here we have the same scenario where Martha is serving and Mary is once again at Jesus's feet And this time, there's no complaint from Martha. Back in chapter 11, she has that moment with Jesus, right? Her brother's been dead for four days. And she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. But that's not all she said. In 22, she continues, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Is it a challenge? Is it a kindness? Is he giving her a chance to profess her faith more completely? You know, not just a, I know you can do miracles kind of faith, but a whole faith that can declare who Jesus is. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And notice he doesn't tell her to keep it a secret. You know, earlier in his ministry, when people would say who he was, he would tell them to keep it quiet. But that time is over. And soon after that, she sees her Messiah resurrect her very dead brother. And now she's at home, participating in this dangerous dinner, worshiping her Savior by serving And why would there be a complaint in her mouth? No way. She knows that she's serving the Christ, the Son of God. What a family of worshipers. And none of them are worshiping him in the same way. Right? They all get to worship in their own way, with their own actions. And Mary's is extravagant. Verse 3 says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Her worship is over the top. And is everyone glad about it? I don't know. Uh, Obviously, Judas is uncomfortable with it, right? We're not told if he's the only one, but he is the vocal one. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Like, what a question. Like, read the room, dude. We're worshiping here. But Judas isn't worshiping, is he? Or he's not worshiping Jesus anyway. What's on his mind? Money? The price of that perfume? When John is telling us the story, he tells us that the ointment is expensive and that it's pure. But it's Judas seems extremely aware of the price, of the worth. And do you think that maybe he's looked around Lazarus' house and he's priced everything in his head? Is that what thieves do? Judas tries to shame Mary's costly worship by accusing her of being wasteful, right? Like, you know, if you knew Jesus at all, if you really knew how to love Jesus and what he's all about, you wouldn't have wasted this perfume. You would have sold it and given it to the poor. It's a cruel accusation. And before anyone reading this gospel can say, well, maybe does he have a point though? John immediately lets us know that Judas is not concerned about the poor, that he's a thief, and that he used to steal from the ministry. And look, he's trying to steal the worship too. And Judas has traveled with Jesus for something like three years, right? He's heard the gospel a lot, he's seen the miracles, he's witnessed Jesus' compassion. He's even been personally saved from storms at sea. And he knows that Jesus doesn't need 300 denarii to feed the poor. And here, as he rejects this worship of Jesus, he is rejecting Jesus. He's denying the Messiah. He's telling Jesus, you aren't worthy of this worship. So what does Jesus do? He accepts Mary's costly worship, right? He acknowledges her prophetic worship. And he protects Mary with his words. Leave her alone. You don't get to shame her extravagant worship. He protects her in case anyone else in that house, including other disciples, other family members, in case anyone else was in there rolling their eyes, also thinking that her worship was too much, excessive Loud, over the top, he shuts it all down with leave her alone. He protects her and accepts her worship. Talk about a good shepherd. And he adds a bit at the end, the part for her future worship. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And that's an announcement for the whole class to hear, right? When it comes time for my burial, and she shows up with the ointment or whatever, she is allowed. Whatever thing she does, whatever you count as over-the-top extravagant, and whether you consider me worthy or not, leave her alone. And then Jesus says that uncomfortable part. In verse 8, he says to Judas, For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And he says it to Judas, but everyone is hearing it. Oh, Judas, are you really concerned for the poor? Because there will be no shortage of people that you may serve. But you do not always have me. He prophesies, right? The closer that he got to Jerusalem, the more and more that he would prophesy his death to his disciples. So if they weren't uncomfortable with Mary's worship, they're probably uncomfortable now. He's talking about his burial, about not being with them. This dangerous dinner went from beautiful worship to wet blanket pretty fast. Now, if I'm honest, I have to confess that I have been Judas. I have judged other people's worship before. I'd like to think that I've grown out of that, right? That I haven't done it in a while. But yeah, I'm guilty of that. Especially in the 90s, okay? The worship in this very church was wild. And I did not like it. I was like, well, these folks are crazy, you know? My mom's probably right. I'm in a cult. (laughs) The people were worshiping their guts out here, and teenager Jamie was sulking about it, right, thinking she knows everything. So, yeah, I judged worship. And I learned my lesson, right, Because like six months or so into my worship judgment phase, Patsy came up to me and said, I heard you have a guitar. Would you like to be on my worship team? (laughs) For some reason, my mouth said yes. And, uh, you know, it's a lot harder to judge folks when you're like part of them now. So God is very gracious. He's hilarious. But what about you? Have you judged worship before? I mean, look, we are a vineyard church. I am sure that we have all been guilty of some kind of worship snobbery. Years ago, years ago, like 2011 years ago, 2011 years ago, I was out and about, right, out in public, and uh, I ran into someone who used to go to this church at the time, and they asked me, hey, who's leading worship tomorrow? And I said, oh. Uh, It's Liz's team tomorrow. And they were like, oh. Like they did that. Their face did that. And I was like, what? Because I was not expecting. I was like, oh. And I was like, what was that? (laughs) Scrunching face. And they said, oh, I just like it better uh, when Scott leads. That's how long ago this was. They said, you know, I can get into it more. And my face must have done something. You know how she'll do things sometimes without me knowing. And I must have made a face uh, because they started like crawl dead and, you know, walking back a little bit. Like, oh, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, and, and that kind of thing. I did not give them a hard time about this. I let it go. I could tell they kind of felt bad and, and they were thinking about what they had said. And um, also, I didn't care. I played bass on both of those teams. So, you know, no skin off my back. Uh, But they were like, you know, you just like what you like, you know. You just like what you like. Um, So what about you guys? Do you have any Sunday morning worship preferences? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I feel that. (laughs) Now listen, I think it's okay uh, to like music that you like, or songs that you like, or styles that you like. But if your preferences in any way prevent you from being able to worship Jesus, you need to work on that. If you can't worship because the songs are too old or too new, where's the sweet spot? I don't know. Or if they're too slow or too Bethel. If you dislike hymns, if you only like hymns, whatever or whomever it is that you prefer, if that keeps you from being able to worship. uh, I think that's a Judas problem. And we need to work on that and talk to God about that. Don't be like sulky teenager Jamie, hiding in the back and rolling her eyes, judging everyone. Don't deny the Messiah his worth. And I know that there are ways to worship other than music. I'm sorry I used only, like, music examples here. But if you want uh, an example of extravagant and beautiful worship that isn't music, uh, then you need to check out this altar that Karen and Kyle and Lisa made. It's beautiful. It is an honor to God. And the example from our text, it's not musical either, is it? Martha served, and Lazarus rested in Jesus' presence. And Mary bowed low, low enough to clean Jesus' feet with her hair. She humbled herself and used a generous amount of perfume to anoint him, to honor the Christ, the Son of God. And remember at the end of verse 3, says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And it reminded me of all the times in the Old Testament when it would mention that the temple or the tabernacle was filled. And it was filled with God's glory, right? One example is Second Chronicles chapter 7, when Solomon and the priest, they're dedicating the temple. And it said, the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. So anytime the Lord's house was filled, you know it was a big deal. You know it was a good time. And here, because of a generous sister, this house is also filled. Her beautiful worship fills a whole house. One person bold enough to say Jesus is worthy, and her act of anointing Jesus with more perfume than would ever be needed means that everyone in that house left smelling like Jesus. <laughs> you know how perfume is, right? Like, it's the expensive kind? Like, just a little bit, please. But here we have a whole house filled, everyone in that house left smelling like Jesus. Even Judas. And that's the gospel for you, okay? That's grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your worship. Thank you for your grace. Will you help us to live lives of worship poured out for you? Lives of joyful service, just like Martha's. Lives of trusting rest in your presence, just like Lazarus's. Lives of lavish, generous affection and gratitude, like Mary's. We please bless the worship of your people so that the fragrance of it gets on everyone around us every day. Help us to be your church everywhere we go, bringing your love and your fragrance with us. And Lord, please break our hearts and lead us to repentance for those times when we are arrogant about our worship or cheap or judgmental And we lose sight of what you are worth, which is literally everything. And Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace. And for this picture of love that you've given us in your word. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. Amen.